Welcome to the Journey Pure podcast, where each week we discuss new ideas, solutions, and treatment methods to help people get healthy and stay healthy. Now, please welcome your host, Tim Stoddart. Hello, and welcome to the Journey Pure podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stoddart. My guest today is John Tuttle. John is a licensed clinical social worker and a retired EAP lead manager. After 31 years in the industry, John recently retired and has started his own EAP consulting service, where he continues to help people by providing resources for substance abuse as well as mental health. John has a wealth of knowledge, and we had a great conversation around substance abuse in the workplace and what the solutions are. I very much enjoyed speaking to him, and I know you will appreciate his viewpoint. Please help me welcome John Tuttle. Fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me on the Journey Peer podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hey, Tim. Thanks so much. Uh, glad to be a part of this, and I appreciate the invitation. Oh, likewise. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Uh, you have been involved in the, in the EAP industry. Uh, for quite some time. I'd like to just open the podcast by giving you a bit of an, an open format to tell your story. Tell me a little bit about your experience helping people in the EAP industry and why you became interested in helping people in the first place. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, so uh, going back, originally I had um, done my, my graduate work. I was, I was you know, relatively young and and uh, realized that if I wanted to uh, be a counselor therapist, I, I pretty much needed to get a, a master's degree. Um, and so I, I finished up my, my master's of social work at University of Illinois in, uh, in Chicago um, in the late 70s and was, uh, you know, working basically in, in different types of um, social work counseling roles. Um, I then ended up where I'd, I'd actually gone to a kind of an open meeting about a, you know, it was a group at that time, they were called the uh, Occupational Social Workers um, Group in Chicago, and basically doing EAP work. And I, I really was drawn to the whole idea of then um, working uh, for a, an organization or working for a company with their employees specifically. Um, so up until then, I really had worked in, you know, clinics and hospitals and more traditional settings. And I, I was just really drawn to the whole idea of, of the employee assistance type of format, which was um, providing services to the workers, employees of uh, either a group, organization, company whatever the case may be. So, so I found myself, uh, you know, in that niche. And my, my first role in the APO was actually then working as a hospital um, with, with their employees. And along the way, I'd actually had gone to a, a presentation um, in a woman who had worked in Chicago for one of the major airlines. That's where I was at the time in Chicago. Um, and I remember her doing a presentation on a panel. I thought, well, that's, that really would be a cool gig, uh, doing airline work. 
and lo and behold, uh, a couple years later, she had decided to uh, leave that spot. And I heard about it and threw my hat in the ring, and I ended up working for one of the major airlines for almost 30 years. Um, first 20 of that was in Chicago as the regional manager, and then I got promoted um, along the way, and so I spent the last uh, about 10 years then actually being the uh, the program uh, lead manager working out of Dallas-Fort Worth uh, up until when I retired and left uh, about a year and a half ago. You, you, you said that through your experience learning to be a counselor that you were drawn to EAP work. What was it about this line of work that made you, quote, drawn to it? Was it the fact of working with people and specifically with their problems? Was it the actual industries that, that you worked in? Tell me a little bit more about what, what drew you in. Yeah, I, I think up until that time, um, I had been working in settings where it seemed like I, I had a lot more resistant type clients. Um, they were, some of them were court ordered, court mandated, um, you know, kind of forced by their family, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think what I liked was kind of a combination where there was, there were in many times with, with an employment situation, the, the job could be used in a, in a positive way to leverage change. Um, and so when a person, let's say, was having job performance issues, job performance problems, they could often be leveraged to say, okay, you're having problems at work, you're on the verge of losing your job, or maybe you did lose your job, and you're trying to get it back. Um, it, it was, I just found it really a great way to leverage people into making change if they wanted to um, either keep their job or regain their job if they'd gotten in a lot of trouble. The other piece I liked as well was that in the EAP world, we did and we, and we still do a lot of work with managers, supervisors, to help guide them um, to help get people the assistance they need. So, so let's say a manager might reach out and say, I've got a person, I really like them, they're doing a good job, they're just not the same. You know, how do I connect them? How do I motivate them? How do I, you know, make them aware of what EAP can do to, to be of help and be of service? And I think probably for me also the big piece is that um, I found that, that at least for my, in my world, EAP work, um, every day was a little bit different. Some days was more direct service. Some days involved more, well, I was providing a training or, or a seminar. Um, some of it was more case management. Some of it was more um, trying to develop new and, and better um, resources for me to refer to. So I just found that the, the variety very, very um, significant. Now we also got involved with a lot of critical incident types of work. Um, so responding to incidents, responding to you know, workplace you know, deaths, responding to workplace tragedies. Um, so I, I just like the fact that it was, um, it was very much a, a different scenario every day. 
let me go off a little bit on something that I have personally been curious about, because if I'm curious about it, I'm sure that other people are asking themselves a lot of the same questions. The phrase or the term EAP, it's a little bit broad because depending on different industries that you work for or different companies that you may work for, the the day-to-day role of an actual EAP can change so much. Uh, the, what I think about it is, is, is almost self-explanatory, you know, it's an employee assistance program, but there's so many different ways that, that companies can provide assistance to their employees. So I know that you just said that there's a wide variety in the different things that you do from day to day, but, but try to walk me through some of the, um, more, uh, what's the word? Some of the, the things that you would come across more regularly that some of the employees that you helped would struggle with? Like, wh- what are some of the big ones that, that people deal with that you help them with? Well, in terms of, of the, the, the nuts and bolts in a lot of ways of a lot of EAPs are, are people who've got um, you know, mental health related issues where they need um, counseling, they need therapy, they might need medication. Um, we also would deal with people who had substance-related issues, which might vary anywhere from abuse to, to full, full-on addiction and dependence. Um, and then there's also the people who um, really would come across an issue from a mental health perspective, and it was really tied to a more specific event. So for example, um, a person who'd gone through um, grief and loss, where they had no real mental health issues or substance issues, but they go through a significant loss, uh, and now they need some emotional support. Um, The other thing too that's interesting that is with EAPs nowadays, and generally have have partnered up with, uh, with vendors, but more and more EAPs also have got a component which helps with just other day-to-day work-life issues, which can be um, helping find helping a person find, let's say, a, a rental home if they're going to transfer, um, helping them find childcare, helping them find you know pet sitters, um, helping them find um, you know plumbers, electricians handyman services and, and whatnot. And generally those are, those are provided by, by um, outside vendors doing EAP uh, work as well. But it, it really now has become a, very much a broad brush. So that if somebody says, well, you know, I contacted the employee assistance program, um, that can mean everything from that they needed to go for a chemical dependency detox on one extreme, or it might be a person who reached out to get information of, um, you know, how they're going to figure out, um, you know, where their kid might qualify to go to college or what grants might be available for that young adult. So it does not have the stigma that it did, you know, in years past. Yeah, you mentioned a, an important topic right there. Uh, well, you mentioned two important topics. Let me consolidate. Obviously, in your line of work, you work with people that have mental health and addiction. 
problems, which <laughs> clearly uh, with Journey Pure, that's something that we're very passionate about in, in serving that population. And then at the end of uh, your explanation, you also mentioned stigma. And mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, that's, again, something that at Journey Pure, we're really, really passionate about uh, just bringing forth in the conversation with society. So the, the question is, uh, and again, this is a little bit of an open-ended question because I, I'm just looking for uh, a, a, a picture, so to speak, paint a picture on what, what people struggle with. But did you find in your work that people didn't reach out to you because of that stigma? Did you find in your work that even with these open resources and this willingness to have the conversations that a lot of times people still didn't? Or did you find that by nature of having an employee assistance program, people were more open to talk about some of these struggles that they were dealing with? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a great question. I, I think when I, when I, I look back on my, on my, my career in particular over you know, um, several decades, um, I think earlier in, in that career, um, issues involving, you know, particularly substance, issues involving uh, mental health, people were much more private, they were more embarrassed, they were, you know, they, they did not, you know, trust the process. They thought, well, if I, you know, if I go to my manager, if I go to the AP, if I go off on a leave, you know, that's going to be used against me. And they'll they'll find a way to jam me up and lose my job and whatnot. Um, but but I think as, yeah. as time has gone by, I think people, for the most part, that are in the workforce, you know, they they understand that that organizations would much prefer that they get help and that they get assistance than you know continue on with whatever you know, serious problem they might have. Um, so so I've, I've seen a dramatic change and, and not necessarily that people are gonna, you know, wear down their, their shirt sleeve and, um, and whatnot, but, but I think from a combination of public awareness, public knowledge, um, you know, celebrities that have, you know, talked about their own struggles and how they've um, sought help and sought, uh, assistance for those kinds of issues, um, that it's, it's in a much more progressive place now in 2020 than what it, what it was when I first started doing this kind of work you know, 40 years ago, which is a good thing. And I think every time we've got somebody who um, steps forward, you know, particularly in the public eye and talks about how they sought help and they had gotten off the rails and they, they found a way to turn things around um, that ends up helping somebody else who perhaps was um, more skeptical about getting help in the first place. It always takes time for me to reflect on these, these conversations because I, I've been sober for 10 years and even within the last 10 years, the idea of stigma has changed a lot, right? People are more open to have these conversations, especially within their families. But mm-hmm. I'm always curious as to how that pertains into the workplace, because what's the first thing that people are, are fearful of 
in in the workplace. They're scared that they're going to lose their jobs, and for good reason. You know, mm-hmm. losing their job is <laughs> is losing their their safety and their their stream of income, and 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 that's terrible. But I think a lot about what it is that we can do to just make those resources more available because it's it's also worth it and this is getting a little bit more technical but i think it's important to have these conversations it's worth it on the employer's side to make sure they provide these resources because they want to keep good employees and just because somebody has a a, a struggle with substance abuse a substance use disorder doesn't mean that they're not reliable and that they're not a good employee. So I think anytime we have the opportunity to kind of look at it from both ends and talk about the value of, of these kind of programs, I think they're important conversations to have. What do you think? All right. Well, well keep in mind that, that in general, you know, corporate America is, is not going to fund that they don't see is contributing to their to their bottom line, um, and so as a result, you know when you see an organization with um, an EAP that they are supporting and that they're paying for, um, they they basically recognized that if a person is able to you know get help, turn things around. Um, that they will stick around, they'll be more productive, they'll stay longer, um, they're less likely to miss work from, from other health kinds of issues. Um, so it really becomes a win-win situation. So where we tend to see um, better utilization is when the organization, when the company, you know, continues, and that's like a one-time deal, but they continue to promote um, wellness they continue to promote that this is a service that is there for the employee for their family members and they want people to take advantage of it and, and they do because ultimately um it's it helps the, the the bottom line when you've got employees that um are supported that get help that they need for whatever the issue might be uh, but uh, without a doubt, these are programs that are funded not simply to be a, you know, a, a fluffy, nice little thing. But you know, it's really about the the, the bottom line um, of helping retain, you know, good employees. And and it used to drive me uh, up the wall sometimes. I would occasionally get, you know, managers that would say, "Oh, well, John, your your team, you do such." such nice work you do such you just such good things to help people and and i would kind of clarify and say look you know you know just so you know we we do a lot of work to help people get the resources that they need to turn around their performance um you know this is not simply that we're giving people you know hugs and kisses and you know you know trying to prop them up we're, we're trying to get people um, the services they need to really turn around their life and turn around their their overall job performance. I'm glad that you framed it in this way. And this is something that I can talk about a lot right. because I think it's, 
it's important for people to realize this, that the, it's not that charity is a bad thing. It's not that like, like helping people is a great thing, whether it's just simply altruistic or it's in, in the spirit of service. And, you know, obviously that can be great for many people, both the person giving the service and the person receiving the service. But in order for these things to actually work, from take a step back and like, what's the functionality behind this and how is it going to work there? It can't all just be like you said, like hugs and kisses and put my arm around you and like, Hey, it's going to be all right. Come follow me. Like there has to be some sense of, of doing this for, for incentive on a lot of different perspectives. Right. And so like, even just the realization that it doesn't have to be that the employer is, is the most caring person in the world that maybe it's in their best interest, just like it's in society's best interest, just like it's in the family's best interest to have these conversations and to be forthcoming about the fact that it's like, we're all better off if we talk about this and you get the help that you need, because not only are you helping yourself, but you're also helping your team. And then you're also helping your company. And then you're also helping like your country, right? And you're also helping the world. So when you frame it from that standpoint, this is why I get so passionate about these conversations because in the grand scheme of things, every little, every, every little conversation that an EAP may have, uh, every conversation that an uncle may have with his nephew in the spirit of like, your well-being is good for all of us. I think that's, that's just a much better approach to practically handle the substance abuse problem that we have as opposed to like, hey, man, I'm a really good person and I just want to help you because I'm such a good person. <laughs> like, there's, there's a big difference there. And I think one of them is just a better way to solve the problem. Uh, and the other thing too, um, Tim, that I find is that the people I've worked with over the years, you know, it's, it's very rare that, that a person, you know, you know, wakes up one day and they decide, well, you know, today's the day I decide, oh, I've got a problem of whatever sort. And now let me reach out to somebody and, you know, start on my journey to, you know, turn things around. More likely the person has had different conversations with people that have had some concern. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a union rep, maybe it's uh, their, their child, maybe it's their spouse or their partner. Um, planted some of these seeds before they, you know, make that call or send the email to, to seek, you know, formal, formal help. And I think, you know, part of it, it becomes all of our responsibility to um, have these conversations and raise these issues and, and you know, kind of remind people that, uh, you know, hey, you don't have to stay stuck with, with, what, you're, uh, with what you're doing. You know, there's a, a different way to live your life if you're having just the, a repeat of the same kinds of issues. Um, I think that's true whether it's a financial issue or a substance issue or uh, a mental health issue. Um, you know, ultimately, if whatever you're doing is not working, then there probably is, you know, help or assistance or a different 
road that a person can, can follow. Yeah, agree totally. Well, thank you so much for, for that insight. Um, I, I want to transition a little bit to talk more about your personal work. You've, yeah. you've been involved in the industry for, for so long, like you have more experience than most, obviously. And uh, I know that you and I spoke a little bit before and you recently have created your own personal consulting service. So what is it that's different about the work that you're doing now compared to the work that you've done over the course of the last couple of decades? So, uh, so ultimately, um, I, had, I had kind of reached the point where um, I, was, I was managing this airline EAP, had a lot of responsibility. I had a lot of stress. I had a lot of aggravation. I mean, I had a lot of, a lot of good stuff as well, but increasingly, um, you know, I was at a point where I, I really didn't want to have to manage a team of people as I was. I didn't want to be the person in charge anymore. Um, I was at a point career-wise where I, I didn't want to work every day. Um, yeah, by the same token, um, I, I feel that that all of us at any phase of life, we, we, we need to have purpose um, to keep ourselves moving forward. Um, you know, and as I look at people that are, you know, healthy and that are older, um, they typically have got, you know, purpose when they get up in the morning. They're not just like laying around yeah. complaining about life things to do and places to go and things that are important to them. Um, and so for me, um, you know, I, I wanted to still um, stay active in the field, but I didn't want to have a team that I was in charge of, didn't want to work every day. And so, so I've kind of found myself, uh, you know, kind of a niche for this phase, which I, I consider now like semi-retired. So some people will say, oh, you know, you retired. It's like, well, I'm semi-retired. So, I don't work every day. I typically work about three days a week, um, and you know I provide you know direct service. I'm not in charge of anybody. I don't manage anybody, which I love at this point in, in time. Um, not having to oversee that aspect of things, but it, it still it gives me purpose. So that um, on any typical week, I feel like I'm still doing some you know, productive things, and I'm still doing some productive professional things, and I'm still involved with the local um, EAP association. Um, you know, I'm still involved in periodically going to, you know, conferences or seminars. Um, you know, now they're more, you know, virtual with the, with the pandemic, but, you know, I look forward to, you know, 2021, hopefully, you know, actually go to a couple of things, um, professionally as well so uh, for, for me it's, it's a good kind of um, phase of life until I decide not to work work I don't, I don't want to work indefinitely uh, but uh, for right now you know doing uh, um, you know my own kind of EAP work so to speak a few days a week is a great it's a great transition hey man next time there's a conference you let me know. I mean, I'll take the first conference. I don't care what the topic is. I just am looking forward to being around people again and having some of these conversations in person. Yeah. I had a, a couple of things lined up for 2020 that uh, I was looking forward to and 
first one washed out and I thought, well, yeah, the next one's going to be, you know, not until the summer. And of course yeah. that washed out. And then there was one lined up for the fall and that's going to be virtual only. And, and so uh, uh, I think 2020 is going to end up uh, really a washout from, from that element of, uh, of things. But I think, I think <laughs> next year, I think, uh, you know, if I had to give my prediction, I'd say 2021 will be at least a return back to, some of the uh, in-person um, activities that we uh, find are also very, very you know, good for our own career and, and our own mental health as well. Yeah, I think so too, my friend. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that day. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, John, you have answered all of my questions. Thank you so much for all of the insight. Thank you so much for all of the work that you have done and continue to do. Uh, it was really a privilege speaking to you. Is there anything else that you wish to say before we sign off? I think what I would just like to kind of finish up with, Tim, and that is that, you know, in our, in our current world, you know, um, living in the United States, there, there really is a lot of help out there for people that are struggling with, you know, whether it's a family issue or a mental health issue or, you know, substance problems. There's a lot of help out there for people. And sometimes, you know, all they've got to do is either pick up the phone or send a text or send an email or, or, or reach out to their EAP or talk to their doctor. There's a lot of help out there. Um, and uh, for people that are having difficulty or struggling, um, I really hope that they will, you know, think seriously about making that call and reaching out um, rather than staying stuck with whatever um, circumstance that they've got for today. Uh, I do as well. It's a great way to end it. It's just amazing the world of possibilities that can open up to you once you finally make that call, you know, that thousand pound mm -hmm. phone. Um, that's, always the, that's always the hardest part. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. No matter what, that first step of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. Uh, like I said, it was a privilege to have this conversation. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done. And, uh, and I hope we get to meet in person soon. Absolutely. All right, Jim. All right, my friend. See you. You've been listening to the Journey Pure podcast. We thank you for joining us. Tune in next time for even more new ideas, solutions, and treatment methods to help people get healthy and stay healthy. In addition, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction or a mental health crisis, we are available at journeypure.com. That's J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-P-U-R-E.com. Talk to you next week.